I'm going to stick pretty close to my notes because I don't want to uh, get off track here. Um, boy, oh boy, I think somebody here has a testimony of God's grace in their lives, maybe more than one. <laughs> um, that worship was a perfect you know, stage set for what I'm going to share. And uh, you know, I was sitting there and I thought, I, I, Carla and I taped a TV show yesterday, and y'all can catch it. It'll be in the fall. I'm not sure exactly what date it'll be, but a real view of the grace life. Um, and I shared a story that I feel like I'm supposed to share right now. I, you know, God is powerful. Everything I'm going to share with you, I believe with all my heart. And I've experienced uh, the presence of God and the power of God in my life. And um, yesterday I shared a story, and this might seem so random, I'm not even sure why I'm sharing it, uh, except to say even as a child I saw miracles. And one of the miracles, um, you know, didn't seem huge at the time. When I look back on it, it was really huge. And that was my mother smoked cigarettes. She smoked two packs a day. She was just she just smoked all the time. And I remember always getting car sick in the car. It just didn't smell good. And and uh, but we didn't think anything of it. I mean, a lot of people smoked back then. But um, one day, she's 35 years old with five kids. She was walking up the steps of our house, and uh, she heard the audible voice of God say to her, "You're going to die if you don't stop smoking." And um, you know, when that happens, you hear God's voice like that. I mean, it, it just shook her up, and she never smoked another cigarette in her life. And you know what? She never had a withdrawal symptom. Isn't that amazing? So she was 35, and I, I don't know, I was a little kid at the time, but you know, then I didn't get car sick quite so much. I still get a little bit car sick, but uh, anyway, um, I really am so honored to be here. This is one of the greatest honors. Um, the Jennings, you know, just for the last couple of years, we have been in communication because y'all have been doing Unveiling Jesus in this church. And um, boy, there's no higher honor for me than y'all would use a resource that I wrote to learn more about God's grace. So uh, that is just, I'm just humbled by that, honestly. Um, but I've written, uh, I'm in the process of writing another book called I Am Free Because of Jesus. And we've recorded a series to go with that as well, and we'll launch that in a, a couple of months probably. But what I'm going to share with y'all today is actually the last session of I Am Free. And it's all about our identity. It's all about we're already at the finish line. We're already, I love one of those songs y'all sang that talks about, you know, I'm, I'm already free, right? I'm already healed. I'm already forgiven and all of those things. And so this series will go through a lot of I am's because of Jesus. Um, so, but this one is called, I am more than a conqueror. Okay. And uh, we're going to go straight to the passage where we see that phrase more than a conqueror. It's in Romans 8. In Romans 8, that chapter begins with, there's no condemnation. And it ends with, there's no separation. Okay, isn't that awesome? No condemnation. And everybody knows Romans 8.1, right? There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And no condemnation, that word condemnation in the Greek is katakrima. It means there is no judging of you a sentence worthy of punishment. Okay, condemnation means you deserve to be punished. 
No condemnation means there's no punishment remaining for you. You are worthy of no punishment whatsoever, no matter what you do. Okay, we're not given a license to sin. We're just telling you the truth about your relationship with God. Okay, then if you go down towards the end of that chapter, you're going to uh, go into verse 31. It says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And to prove that he's on our side, verse 32 says, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with Jesus freely give us all things? All things. All, right? So there's a folder with the tab called All Things. Just put that on the shelf and put that piece of paper in it right now. That verse right there, Romans 8.32, we're going to add to it in just a minute. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who decided that you're righteous. That's what it means when it says it's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? Katakrima is the noun form, condemnation. Katakrino is condemn. Okay? Who is this prosecutor who's coming at you to condemn you? Keeping you up at night. Making you think you deserve a curse in your life or deserve bad. Who is that? Well, it's not flesh and blood, okay? It's the powers and authorities in the spirit realm coming against you. Demonic forces. Not good ones, bad ones, okay? And they want to keep you from receiving all things is the point, right? What do they want to bring on you? Condemnation. And what, what is the punishment that this demonic force wants to convince you that you're worthy of? Death, right? The wages of sin is death. But, goes on to say, it is Christ who died. He died our death, right? And furthermore, is also risen. You know, in some churches on Easter, they say, He is risen, and then they say, He is risen indeed, right? Do you know what it means that God, that God raised Jesus from the dead and He's risen? Well, there's a verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 17, that says, If Christ is not risen... Your faith is futile. Give up. Because you're you're still in your sins, is what that verse says. But if Christ is risen, your faith is very powerful. And you are not in your sins. Amen? Jesus is even at the right hand of God. And when you hear right hand of God, I want you to think of this immediately. Hebrews 1.3 says, having purged your sins. Who also makes intercession for us. Now that's not, he's not up there praying, okay? He's our advocate before the Father. That's what the Bible says. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave his life a ransom for us all. 1 John 2, 1, if anybody sins, if any of you sins, you have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Even if a charge comes against you, you've got your advocate right there. Hebrews 7, 25, he's also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives, never dies, always lives to make intercession for you. I want you to think about his hands outstretched just like this. You know what he is? He's a connector. He's a connector between God and man. 
And he always lives to be that connector. If Jesus were to ever die or cease to exist or fall in any way, then he wouldn't be that connector. But you can be assured, he's always going to live forever and ever. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're killed all day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Now that's an Old Testament quote right there. But let me tell you, have you ever felt like you had a target on your back and that the devil was after you? We wouldn't even be talking about all of this if nobody ever had a problem or an issue, would we? It's because these things do come at us and we got to know what to do in that day. Because with every peril, with every storm, with every persecution, with all that, it always comes with that fiery dart of condemnation, judgment, So we got to stand in that evil day, right? Yet in all these things, in everything the devil throws at us, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. So our victory, I'm telling you, is directly related to the fact that we've been justified and we have been joined to God by the Spirit. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. And let me tell you what that includes, your sins in the future. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. That includes the devil and all his minions. None of those things shall be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So back to our key verse, verse 37. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Key to know you are loved. I love that song, Amazed. Brings me back. Hadn't sung it in a long time. But I like the analogy of Jesus as our heavyweight champion going into the ring. But He was a pretty pitiful sight because He went in all heavy laden with all of our sin, with all of our shame, with all of our condemnation. He didn't look like much, let me tell you. All the curse of the law, you can read about it in Isaiah 53, go back to 52. I mean, there was nothing to look at. He looked terrible hanging on that cross, naked, bleeding, broken. But he went into that ring all heavy laden like that. And the devil thinks, oh, this is going to be easy. But Jesus didn't even give him a chance to swing. He died right there before the fight even begun. Because you know what? The devil didn't kill Jesus. No one murdered him. He gave his life for you and me. So then the devil starts doing his victory lap around the ring. And as the bell's ringing, there was a turn of events that he didn't expect. Jesus comes up like this. By the way, our sin nature went down with him. I could teach all day on that too, but anyway. As the bell's ringing, Jesus comes up in one fell swoop, one knockout punch, knocks the devil flat on his back, never to recover. That's reality in the spirit, okay? That's reality, and it can play out in the natural if you believe it. So Jesus, the heavyweight champion, conquered death, conquered what we deserved at the cross, right? 
And we are the bride of Christ. He's our heavenly husband. He won the prize check. He brings it home to us. It's called all the riches of His grace. He hands it to us. He's the conqueror, but guess what? We're more than a conqueror. If you're the receiver of all the riches of His grace, you're more than a conqueror. Ephesians 1, God raised Jesus from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality, power, and might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And He put all things, all things, under Jesus' feet and gave Jesus to be head over all things for the church. It's for our benefit. You see, we have the prize check which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. And the fact that Jesus is seated in heavenly places far above all rule, power, authority, and dominion means, guess what? You and I are there too, right? Ephesians 2, very next chapter says, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places where in Christ Jesus, that, is in, that in the ages to come, let me explain. That's not talking about heaven one day. In the ages to come starts the minute he raised you up and seated you there, right? Isn't that logical? Isn't that what that means? He made you, and that, by the way, is a verb tense that says it's happened. It doesn't need to happen again, and it's never going to not happen. It is. He made you to sit in heavenly places. And from that moment forward, that in the ages to come, he might show you the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So we're seated there far above the lower, the lower spirit realm where the devil operates. We're in a higher realm. You understand? 1 Corinthians 15 says the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. That's speaking of physical death. For he has put all things under his feet. So the fact that he's put all things under his feet means that one day, even though these bodies are corruptible, we're going to have a new body that doesn't ever die, that is incorruptible. You got it? That's, that's a good thing to look forward to, right? But what about right now? We're living in what I call a meantime, okay? Our spirits are seated in heavenly places in Christ, but we're walking around here on the earth in a body that, you know, gets tired and, and uh, gets, you know, has things coming against it. So this is going to be really practical what I'm going to talk about. Because how do we live in that meantime, okay? Verse 54 says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where's your victory? The sting of death is sin, which by the way, the Lamb of God has taken away the sin of the world, right? So he removed the sting, which is sin, because he removed the stinger, Right? With its poison, which is death. And if bees don't have stingers, you can stick your hand right into a beehive without a glove and not worry. Right? You can't get stung. Listen, if you can get rid of the fear of death, you can, you'll be set free from a lifetime of bondage. Right? The devil had the power of death, but Jesus came in flesh and blood, took our place. So now we don't have to fear death. I mean, you can, you can look at the devil and say, you know what? Even if I didn't have the power of the resurrection in me, which I do, and even if you killed this body, guess what? You don't win. I already won. But I win here as well. Romans 8.11 says, the power of the resurrection dwells in me and gives life to this mortal body. 
Next verse says, the strength of sin is the law, the power, dunamis, dynamite power of sin is the law. You take away the law, take away the power of sin. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Power and victory over sin and over death. And what does all this mean? It means that we're in these corruptible bodies, but the devil is still under our feet. Doesn't always feel like that in the natural, but it's true. We need to set our minds on things above where Christ is seated, where our lives are hidden in him and realize we're in a higher realm. Let us labor, therefore, to enter the rest, seated, right, in heavenly places. Lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So the opposite of rest is unbelief. So we're still in this meantime, in this fallen world, right? It's a fallen world. But we rest not after the problems are all resolved, but right smack dab in the middle of the storm. You prepare a table before me in the presence, not in the absence, in the presence of my enemies. So we rest. And our response, right? Our response to attacks and lies and accusations and fears that the enemy tries to put on us while our enemies are glaring at us, staring us down. What do we do? We feast. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. While the symptoms are still there, right? While the bills still had not been paid, while the relationship is still broken, while the child is still in trouble, while your dreams still hadn't come true, feast on the love of God and the Word of God and the promises of God which are yes and amen. Stay at rest. You know, sometimes we think, how can I eat in the presence of my enemies? I mean, if you're at the table with people that hate you, let's say people that hate you, it's hard to eat, right? So think about that. When those fears and those visions of calamity start coming on you, now's the time to feast. That's what God's been telling me. This message is for me, by the way. <laughs> so the battleground is the mind. When he comes at us and puts his dukes up and says, come on, fight me. We, I, used to, I used to try to fight him. But that wore me out. Now I just say, you're defeated. You're conquered. Jesus already did that 2,000 years ago. So it's not about what we do. It's about what we believe. You know, I, I, I want to settle forever, if I could, with a few scriptures here. The fact that the devil does not have authority in your life or my life. He doesn't have legal authority. If you mess up, you didn't just give him a big old open door to come and wreak havoc on your life. <laughs> as long as Jesus is alive, his blood is still active. That intercession, that blood, those scars say, you are acquitted, you are forgiven, you are righteous. Right? So the devil is under our feet. But I want to give you just a tad bit of uh, background on the devil. His name was Lucifer, right? He was an archangel created along with a couple of other archangels and he was created before man was. And uh, the Bible says in Ezekiel 28 that he was the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. And it says that he was blameless until the day iniquity was found in him. 
And it says that he became filled with violence and filled with pride, and he used that great wisdom to make himself famous because he loved his own splendor. He loved the sight of himself. Okay, and Isaiah 14, it says that Lucifer was cast to the ground by God. God said, because you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Verse 14 says, I will be, I will be like the Most High. Wow. What arrogance is that? So we got to understand something, is that the devil is only indirectly coming at us. Because what he has aspired to is dominion and authority. The throne of the Most High God. Well, God already settled it. But he was cast down to the ground. And so when God made man, and God gave dominion of this earth to man, the devil went after man and tempted him to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which brought forth spiritual death and ultimately physical death. So Adam lost it, lost the dominion, handed it right over to the devil. But Jesus came and restored it, right? By one man's disobedience, sin entered, death entered, all mankind. But by one man's obedience, and that would be Jesus Christ, we've all been made righteous, right? You and I, every believer, everyone who's in Christ. So I want to look at the throne of God for just a minute that throne that Lucifer aspired to ascend to. Speaking of the Most High God in Psalm 89, verse 14, it says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Righteousness and justice, legal terms, terminology of the courts, right? Righteousness means what is right. Justice means the enforcement of what is right. Decisions made about what is right and enforcing what is right. Sounds kind of hard, doesn't it? Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. That's where the devil goes, oh, I gotcha, right? Speaking of us, if that's the foundation of God's throne, we don't deserve to be in the presence of God. But mercy and truth go before his face. Mercy is the Hebrew word hased, and it's also translated grace. Grace and truth are before the face of God at all times. That's what he sees. That's his heart. That's what he's looking at, right? And whenever you see that coupled together, grace and truth, do you know who that's talking about? Jesus. And the word, it says in John 1, became flesh and dwelt among us. And why? I could teach for two hours on this, but he put on an earth suit. He had to become like us, flesh and blood, so that he could die in our place as our sin offering. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, Jesus has declared him. Jesus has interpreted and explained God is what that's saying. So grace and truth, speaking of Jesus, he's full of grace. Full. That's his makeup, right? full of grace, unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor of God. And he's full of truth. The definition of that is the veritable essence of a matter. 
It's the real. It's the, it's the reality lying at the basis of an appearance. And what does all that mean? It means he came to show you what God is like. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father, right? When he goes about healing all who are oppressed, when he goes about feeling, feeding people and delivering people and, 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 you know, coming alongside that woman caught in adultery, coming to meet the woman at the well. I mean, you, you see Jesus You've seen the Father. He is the radiance of God's glory. The exact representation of His nature. So when Jesus goes to the cross for us, you're seeing the Father's heart. Those are the Father's arms outstretched like the prodigal son coming home to the good, good Father, right? 1 John 3, 8, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, brought into the natural realm in a body, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And how did he do it? He traded places with us. He died the death that we deserve. That's how he traded places with us. That's how he destroyed the work of the devil. What is the work of the devil? Death. So that throne is established on righteousness and justice, but mercy and gra- grace and truth go before his face. What does that mean? It means that God is not looking at your sin. Just like Al said, right? The mercy seat. The blood. Doesn't just cover it though. Takes away the sin, right? So what is God looking at? He's looking at the perfection of the work of His Son to remove our sins. So when He looks at us, He sees what is right. Righteousness. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. And he enforces that. This is his justice. He enforces that by placing us right there in Christ in heavenly places, seated far above the power of the devil. God demonstrates his righteousness. It says in Romans 3.26, one verse after Romans 3.25 talks about him being our mercy seat, right? God demonstrates his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God is righteous in making you righteous. It's a righteous act to say that you are righteous, not because of your good deeds, because of the cross. See, mercy sent Jesus, but the cross demonstrates that God is just. God did not allow a single sin to slip by. Not one bad day, not one failure, not one weakness escaped the justice of God. It's all there. Jesus became sin. All your sins, past, present, and future, take it personally. All your sins. That's what it took for me a few years ago. I had to see my sin being punished in the body of Jesus. All the sins I've ever committed, all the sins I will ever commit were dealt with at the cross. Mercy and truth have met together in Jesus at the cross. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Not one at the expense of the other. God can't be merciful and not righteous. Only Jesus could do this. In the courtroom of heaven, justice was served. 
And Jesus said, it is finished. So we're not climbing to victory. We're resting in victory. All right, so how does that play out? Practically, one of the best verses is Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I'm living now in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Very practical, because it tells us how to live by the Spirit. By faith. Not by self-effort. By faith. So first you've got to understand that you are a spirit. You were born of the spirit. Yeah, you were born of the flesh. But when you were born again, you were born of the spirit. You are a spirit, just like God is a spirit, because you're born of God, right? The will of God. It was the will of God that you were born. So you're a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body, right? The soul is the, the, the flesh. The body and the soul together comprise the flesh. But the spirit is the new man that was born again when you were saved. We want to live out of that place, right? The body, our physical members, our senses, sight, smell, taste, hearing, touch, our soul, our mind, will, and emotions, that's all the flesh. But our spirit is that new man. The spirit. Your spirit is holy, righteous, perfect, blameless, just like Jesus. As he is, so are we in this world. But your flesh is not. And the mind is that battlefield to decide, am I going to react to what I'm seeing in the natural on the outside? Or am I going to respond by the spirit and see things from heaven's perspective? You experienced the moment you were born again a complete and utter transformation. You're not who you used to be. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, because your identity is not in your flesh. It's not about how you look. It's not about what you do. Your identity is in your spirit. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, we now know Him thus no longer. Why? Because He's risen. We knew Him according to the flesh when He put on that earth suit. He's risen now with a glorified body. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Another thing for our all things file. It says all things are of God. That cannot be talking about your flesh. All things are of God is speaking of the new creation. Because your bad temper is not of God. We're making a distinction here. You know, God loves you. He loves everything about you. You are right in His sight. But you and God, guess what? You don't like your bad temper. Because that's not who you are. Right? I'm making a distinction here. And all things have become new. Well, that's obviously not talking about the flesh, is it? Because if you had a bad temper or other issues before you were saved, you know, that might not have changed overnight. You might still be working through some of those issues of the flesh. 
But I'll tell you what did happen. All things were new in your spirit. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even though we should walk in the newness of life. So we walk by the power of the Spirit. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, very important thing to know, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died, verb tense that says it's never going to happen again, it happened once and that was enough, has been freed from sin. Okay, that's not sinning the verb. That's sin the noun. What have you been freed from as a new man? The power of sin. The identity that sin gave you. You're a new man. You are seated in heavenly places. The power of sin is beneath your feet, along with all other things, right? All things. Romans 8, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, in your spirit. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. If you don't have the spirit of Christ, I want to encourage you today, receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Not your righteousness, by the way. In the context of Romans 8, we're talking about Christ's righteousness, okay? But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your flesh, your mortal body, through the Spirit of God that dwells in you. So even though the body is corruptible, dying, getting wrinkled and so forth, I'm telling you, you can have new life, regenerated life. I'm living. I feel great. I want to live until my calling is done, you know, like Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain, but it's better for me to stay here with you guys Sound like, kind of like he had a choice, right? I'm choosing to be here, to be alive, and to be here at Summit Church, right? Colossians, we are complete in Christ, for in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. You started the moment you were born again at the finish line. You're not working up there. You're there. You don't have to climb a ladder with God. You're there. In Him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. What is that talking about? The cross cutting away the flesh from the old man. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. The flesh has been set apart from who you are, in other words. Our old man was buried with Him in baptism, in which the new man, who you really are today, also were raised with Christ through faith in the working of God who raised Jesus from the dead. And you being dead at one time before you were saved, in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he's now made alive together with Jesus. How? Having forgiven you of all trespasses. 
all of them, <laughs> having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which is the law that says no one's worthy, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So what is that saying? What were we fighting all those years in spiritual warfare? The devil had one weapon, and it's been taken away. He's been disarmed. The handwriting written against us, the law, has been nailed to the cross along with our sins, and it's been taken away. He's been disarmed. And when he comes with his lies and his accusations, you can remind him of the day that he was made a spectacle of. He thought he had won. But how utterly humiliating must it have been when Jesus rose from the dead. So this is what happened. This is our, the old man joined to the flesh, in the flesh, one with the flesh. This flesh is where sin operates, had operated since the beginning when man ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And man was identified as a sinner. A sinner. Then there was a circumcision made without hands called the cross of Jesus Christ and came and cut that flesh away from the spirit, from our identity. The old man went into the grave. <laughs> with the nature to sin, right? Ding dong, the witch is dead. Witch, old witch, the wicked witch. Okay. And a new man rose again from the dead. New man, new nature, new identity, new creation. Flesh is still here. How many of you know the flesh is still there? But that flesh is not connected here, okay? That flesh is here. This is where sin operates. This is where the power of sin is trying to get some traction in your life. But you, believer, are not in union with the flesh. You are in union with the Spirit. He was one with the Lord as one Spirit with Him. Forever. And there's a great chasm between the flesh and who you are in Christ. And that's called, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed your sins from you. You have been released from the power of sin. Wow. I'm telling you. Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know what that means? There's no temptation. There's no sin that could ever overcome you. You've been given power over sin. The power of sin. Your power is in, within you is greater than the power of the devil. Right? He who's in you is greater than he who's in the world. You are free to take responsibility for your own life. And that is so liberating. The devil cannot control your destiny. Grace isn't freedom to sin, it's freedom from sin. 
And one of the greatest lies the devil wants us to believe is that we actually want to sin. I want to. I really want to. No, you don't want to. Let's get, let's get in line with who you really are, your identity in Christ. we got to think spiritually. Don't think naturally. Think spiritually. Your new nature will be at odds with the power of sin in the flesh. You're not going to want to. You don't want to. Listen to what Paul said. It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Who am I? I'm a child of God. Does a child of God want to sin? No. (laughs) For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, he makes that distinction, nothing good dwells. In Galatians 5, Paul says, For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, for the two are in opposition to each other. But listen to this awesome verse we love. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. The law. What did it presume on the flesh, right? The law said you've got to love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Who could do that under the law? The law says you've got to have joy. Get up here and have joy. Force yourself to have joy. How can you do that when you think you're a dirty, rotten sinner? Deserving of death. Deserving of punishment. Deserving of a curse. How can you do that? How can you have joy when that's your reality? You've got to be kind. You've got to be good. You've got to be faithful. If you're not faithful, then God's not going to be faithful to you. Wow. If you don't love, God's not going to love you. If you're not kind, you don't deserve kindness. That's the law. But grace says this. You, those, that list I just gave you of all those virtues is your true want-tos. That's what you want to do. You love because God first loved you. You have joy unspeakable and full of glory because you've gotten all up in this message of grace. And it's just wrecked your emotions, right? You're kind. You're faithful. You're generous, right? You're generous. You're good. I'm gooder, than I think, than I've ever been. Not on purpose, really, just because. Because the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And I, you know, self-control. Self-control. I don't have to do what the devil tells me to do. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, and if we live by the Spirit, let's also walk in the Spirit. So inside of us is a great mystery that religion the law will never understand because religion is always focused on what's on the outside, what you're doing today for God, you know, how good are you today. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have a treasure. You and the Spirit of God joined an amazing treasure in this earthen vessel that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. So now these members, my arms, my hands, my mouth, my emotions, all of that can be used for the glory of God. Right? What you see today is a sieve for the power of God to come forth, to be a blessing to people. 
It's a lot better than rule keeping and trying to stay out of trouble, right? It's a powerful life. Paul told the Corinthians, all things are, are yours. All things have been given into your hands. You don't sit on hands when you're holding all things. Riches of grace. You're a blessing. We're blessed to be a blessing. Don't super spiritualize the scriptures and say, oh, one day in the sweet by and by, I'll be blessed. No, it's good to be blessed. God's been in the blessing business from the beginning. He created the Garden of Eden. You know what Eden means? Pleasure. The Garden of Pleasure. And there's a lot more I could say about the Garden of Eden, but boy, oh boy, what Adam lost, Jesus has much more restored and regained. Amen? So, I'm going to do, you know, this new covenant is based on better promises than the old covenant, and under the old covenant, God was willing to open up the heavens to them. It says so, right? And the blessing. God was willing to do a lot of good things and a lot of, pour out blessings on the people. But you know what they said? They said, listen, we'll earn our own blessings. All that you command us, we can handle it, we can do it. Very arrogant statement. He's like, okay, you want to do it your way? Here's the law. Here's the law. And what's the law going to do? It's going to prove that every single one of you is guilty. And none of you could earn a blessing on your own. But I want to just kind of look at this for just a second. I want to look a little bit at Deuteronomy 28. Because now the holiness of God is on your side because of Jesus. So back in, in, in the first verse where it says, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God and observe carefully all His commandments, then all these blessings will come upon you because you obeyed. Let's remember that Jesus became a curse for us, that we might be blessed, right? Galatians 3 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, curses everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, and that we might receive the Spirit. What is all that saying? Righteousness of faith. Very important to understand righteousness because that's the foundation for your dominion in this world. Christ's righteousness. And the Spirit who says you're an heir of God. A child of God. So we can say it this way, now it shall come to pass because Jesus diligently obeyed the voice of the Lord your God and observed carefully His commandments and the Lord your God will set Him and us in Him high above all the nations of the earth and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because Jesus obeyed the voice of the Lord your God. He became liable for all of our sins. I'm going to give you just a little taste of what a cursed life look, looks like. The only reason I'm going to tell you is because I want you to see Jesus hanging on the cross, taking that curse in His body on the tree. Okay? Marriage curses. You shall betroth a wife, but another man shall lie with her. Jesus took in Him every sorrow, every pain. The pain of betrayal, the pain of rejection, the pain of a family falling apart because of adultery. Jesus took it. He took it for us, every single bit of it. And he wants to make a great exchange with you. Beauty for ashes, restoration of all the devil has stolen from your family. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people. Your eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all day long. There shall be no strength in your hand. Have you ever felt that? You shall beget sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours. For they shall go into captivity. That's a cursed life. You're looking 
like day and night for your children to come home. Well, Jesus experienced your pain. He's touched with the feelings of your infirmities. But more than that, He took that curse of wayward children in His body. They're coming home. They've been taken by another culture, another land, taken on a name that isn't theirs, taken on an identity that isn't theirs, but they're coming home. Where two agree isn't touching anything, it shall be done, right? Jesus purchased this. It's because of Jesus. Cursed life says you shall carry much seed out to the field, but gather little in, the locust shall consume it. We had a great exchange occur at the cross. 2 Corinthians 8 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. All in the context of finances. Sickness, serious and prolonged sicknesses, every sickness and every plague. I want you to listen to Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our guilt and iniquities. The chastisement needful to obtain peace and well-being for us was upon Him, and by His stripes that wounded Him, we are healed and made whole. That's at the whipping post and then at the cross. He took all disease in His body on the tree. So now for the blessing of Deuteronomy 28, we can say, we're blessed in the city. We're blessed in the country. Why? Because of Jesus. Our children are blessed because of Jesus. Our finances are blessed because of Jesus. We're blessed when we come in, blessed when we go out because of Jesus. Our enemies are defeated. They come at us in one direction, flee in seven because of Jesus. Again, not because of me, but because of Jesus. The Lord will bless everything I put my hands to because of Jesus and you too. All the people of the earth will see that we're called by the name of the Lord and they will be afraid of us because of Jesus. What the world needs now is Jesus. All the crazy that's going on right now. Like Sunday school. What's the answer? You can say, Jesus. <laughs> it is. It's Jesus. The Lord has already opened up His good treasure, the heavens, to us through Jesus. He's already made us the head and the tail. above The head, not the tail. Above and not beneath because of Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. All the healings all the provisions, all the coming up and, and embracing people who other people had condemned, all of that, Jesus is still the same today, yesterday, and forever. So just read your Bible. I'm going to end with this, imagination. I'm, I love amazed again how high and how deep and how great is the love for us. If you go back to Ephesians 3, that's where it talks about that. And in the context of grabbing hold of that love of God, Listen to what Paul said. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works within us, that power of the Gospel. You receive that love which was demonstrated on the cross, right? And then he says, ask and imagine. You don't have because you don't ask. But the minute you ask, let God show it to you. That's the imagination. Paul prayed. He said, the Father of glory may give you, he prayed for this, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. You know what revelation is? Apocalypto. Unveiling. Unveiling. Okay? 
into the knowledge of Jesus, that the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened, that you might know what is the hope of his calling. Enlightened, photizo. It's like a camera opening and light coming in, the shutter opening, right? Light comes in and you see that you might know, that is iedo, literally means to perceive with the eyes, but it's talking about spiritual eyes, right? The hope of his calling. Hope, a joyful, confident expectation of good in your future. The hope of his calling literally means an invitation to a feast. Like I said, we got a feast right now. You see it by revelation in the Spirit. You begin feasting right away because you've been invited to the feast. And I experienced this, and I experienced, you know, I experienced it quite often, actually. Everything I'm telling you, I experienced because I need it. Please don't look at me and think my life is not without challenges. I'm challenged every single day. But that's where the Spirit rises up. We renew our minds to the truth. And the other day, I was renewing my mind to promises that God's given me. He's given me prophetic words. He's given me scriptures. He's given me pictures in my mind of what His plans are. And so I was, I was just going over some of that. I was doing laundry the other day. Mundane things of life. That's where it happens a lot of times, right? And I got caught up in a moment of imagination and God showed me something. You don't have to conjure up an imagination. He shows it to you. And I saw, I saw His plan. And I began to just, like, I don't know, it's like I was exploding with joy. I was just heaving, crying. Like, oh, <laughs> you know, joy unspeakable. And God said, what if that was happening in the natural right now? How would you respond? How would I respond? Well, that was kind of a rhetorical question because I was doing that. That's exactly what I would be doing. And it was like he, he was saying to me, Trisha, go ahead right now and live in the joy. Don't wait. That's what makes us different from the world. We walk by faith and not by sight. It will happen. It's His plan. It's His desire. You will see it. The world says, I'll see it. I believe it when I see it with my own two eyes. But you say, no, I saw it already in the Spirit. I believe it before I see it with my natural eyes. And then I will. And I believe this with all my heart. And so we stop comparing ourselves with other people. That's a killer no more group think, okay? We're not the masses. We're the righteousness of God in Christ. Each individual person right now, you are not liable for all your mistakes. You're not liable for the things that happened to you. Jesus took it all. Each and every one of us, we can go right before the throne of grace. That throne that is the foundation is righteousness and justice is the throne of grace. Where you can go boldly, that's the name of my ministry, parousia in the Greek, boldly before the throne of grace in your time of need to obtain mercy, find grace. So we don't look at other people. Whenever I've done that, you know, it's like this kindness of God comes with a very sharp rebuke, okay? It's kind because I know I'm loved, but he says, they don't have anything to do with you. That doesn't have anything to do with you, Tricia. Nothing. You are not, your destiny is not in what's happening to other people. Even those that you have on a pedestal you think are so spiritual and they did everything right, why are they having problems? 
doesn't have anything to do with you. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it is not coming near you. You might be having a trial, but it's temporary. We got to focus our attentions on what is eternal because what you're seeing in the natural is just temporary. I was thinking about Abraham recently, hope against hope. How many are 99 and still haven't had promise come? <laughs> hope against hope. I mean, what an example for us. Do not give up. But there are those things that, you know, they seem hopeless. And I thought of this verse, the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, and it was kind of coming to me and as I was heading towards my computer to look it up as I do. I thought I had it. I was like, uh, I would have lost heart unless I'd seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And when I looked it up, that wasn't what it was. I know you think that's what it is, but that's not what it was. The Scripture actually says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You've got to believe you're going to see it. And that's why we've got to hone in, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. And one of my favorite verses in that hymn is towards the end where it says, then you go to a world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. You're not hopeless. You bring hope to the hopeless. Amen. That's why I say I determined to know nothing among you but Jesus and him crucified. Amen. Thank you all.